I've, ent- I've titled this sermon today, Now and Later. It's uh, in Acts chapter 20. So as you turn to Acts chapter 20 in your Bibles, I'm going to talk to you quickly here. There are some things that are true today that were not true in the 80s and 90s when I grew up. I was born in 1984, and uh, so I was a product of the 80s, and uh, I love growing up in the 80s and 90s. It was a great time, and uh, there's some true things that are true today that possibly aren't, that weren't true in the eight, 1980s and 1990s when I was growing up. The first thing is, when it comes to hair, the bigger, the better. Anybody, anybody remember having some big hairdos like this in the 80s? Yeah. So you have big hair in the 80s, and nowadays we don't see, especially our guys usually don't wear their hair quite as big as they used to uh, in, in the 80s. Secondly, when, uh, for me, wrestling was real. I was a big wrestling fan. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Sting, I, I liked it. To me, in the 18, 1980s and 1990s, it was real, man. They were wrestling. And now, maybe not quite as much as I've gotten older. Third, and I'll still argue this point today, Michael, jo- Michael Jordan is the GOAT, which is the greatest of all times, the best to ever play the game. I believe that. So, uh, I know some people say Kobe or LeBron. All right. I, I still, I grew up watching Jordan play, and for me, he was the greatest of all time. Number four, being able to sit in the front seat was a privilege. Man, we would run out the, I mean, it was shotgun, shotgun. You didn't, you had to wait till I got outside. That didn't count. We argued over who got the front seat. Now it's just, it didn't matter, sir. Yeah, well, you sit on the hump there. You can try to get two people in the front seat. Yeah, we, we called shotgun, man. You got to sit in the front seat. That was that was big time. Now, maybe not quite as much. Next is Sunday or Saturday morning cartoons were a big deal. My daughter is spoiled. You know what she does? She goes to Netflix and she gets to watch whatever cartoon she wants to watch on Netflix instantly. I didn't have that opportunity. I had to wake up at 7 a.m. on Saturday to be able to catch all my Saturday morning cartoons. So I, I remember Saturday morning cartoons. They were a big deal. Number six, and I had a pair of these. You didn't just wear shoes. You pumped them up. Anybody remember these Reebok pumps? Yeah, you just, they were a little fitting a little bit loose. You pumped the basketball, and it got tighter on your foot. And then there was a little thing on the side that you pushed, and it went, Shh. Yeah, and it loosened it. It was crazy. You had some, some pumps. Number seven, high definition meant adjusting the rabbit ears on your television. Anybody remember doing that? You had to get up. You, all right, stay right there. And then you're like, try to leave it, and then we go back to blurry, and like, oh, sometimes you had to settle. If it was something you really wanted to watch, you had to settle for being just a little bit blurry. We had to adjust the rabbit ears. Now they have all this 1080p and I and high definition, and it looks like you're almost there. It's crazy. Number eight, vending machines were for drinks like Pepsi and Coke, not for getting movies and for uh, facial products, right? You can buy acne products and movies and everything else from vending machines. When I wanted to go watch a movie, I had to go to a place called Blockbuster. Yeah, I don't remember Blockbuster if you're younger. We had to go there and rent movies. And it's funny because every time I say this, people always can finish my sentence. You ready for this? Be kind and please rewind. Yeah, we had to rewind it. We had to rewind them. I always say it's a funny, funny thing that happened at the last job I worked. I, I'm a teacher. It's my normal job. And we have a guy who's kind of a class clown who works for me, and he said, watch this, and he sent out an email to the whole staff, because we had some older people who worked there and didn't really understand all of technology. He said, 
I have free DVD rewinders that I'm giving out. Just email me if you want one. Well, obviously, DVDs, you don't have to rewind. They just go back. So we had all these emails get sent about, I want one of those free DVD rewinders. And he's just laughing. Next, pagers and cell phones. You had one of these. You were technologically advanced. I remember, I don't know if y'all remember Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell with that big old phone that he would carry. My dad had a pager, and when he worked on the railroad, they would page him when it was time for him to go to work. But you had a pager or a cell phone. You were, you were living high on the hog there, right? Now every kid, even in sixth, fifth, fourth grade, has a cell phone that they play on. And finally, when you wanted to listen to more music, you didn't go to iTunes. You just flip the cassette tape over to side B. I remember you'd be halfway through a song and you were jamming, and you were like, pause, and had to flip it over and put it back in, and you picked right back up where you were, yeah. And then that was brutal, man. It ever came out, and you're trying to, like, turn it back in. Yeah, you can set tape. See, the kids nowadays, they don't understand what some of us went through when we were teenagers. But this morning, I want to talk to the teenager inside of all of us. You can all remember back to the time when we were growing up, and, and hard to believe that we're all still teenagers. We all uh, feel, feel young sometimes and live back to those glory days sometimes. And I just want you to think for a moment, I want you to hit the rewind button of life and go back to when you were 15, 16, 17 years old. Maybe if you close your eyes, you can see the clothes you had on, the type of hair you had, the music you were listening to in your room, possibly even your first car. Then at age you know, 13, 14, 15, how respectful and polite and considerate, and well-behaved you are. Yeah, some things never change, right? I know I, know I thought I was pretty respectful and polite, but maybe, maybe looking back, I was like, oh, man, I probably should have got a few more whippings than I actually did. This is a quote from 700 B.C. from an ancient Greek poet. It says, I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was a boy, we were taught to be discreet, respectful of elders. But the present youth are exceedingly wild and impatient. This was written in 700 B.C. So what they thought in 700 B.C., we still said about my generation, and we still say it about this generation coming up. You see, some things just don't change much. Some things are true that will always be true. And if we reflect back to the teenagers we once were, maybe you grew up in the 50s in the doo-wop era. We have a picture of what doo-wop looked like, possibly. Yeah, the 50s, and we had 60s, the hippie movement, up to the 70s and disco fever. It's funny, Laura saw that pink strawberry dress. She's like, oh my goodness, that's so cute. I would wear that now. This is like a full circle, man. Things that used to be popular back in the day make its way back. In the 80s, we had our metal hair, and I'm pretty sure that uh, I had this jean jacket set here uh, when I was growing up. The 90s, we had our big parachute pants. I wore some of those to school as well. And MC Hammer made those popular, and he, you know, he did his little dance with his parachute pants on. But I want to speak to every young person in years and those at, young at heart to remember what it was like and what you faced when you were a teenager. See, there's a story in Acts that we can all relate with. We can all find ourselves going back to the teenager inside all of us. And it's in Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to give you a quick background. You see, Paul was a great speaker. He was speaking 
he had some place to be in the morning, and he, he delayed his message to up till midnight to be able to speak. And he was, he was, I mean, he was just giving one of those good old messages. Everybody's loving it. And then inside this room walks a teenager, and this teenager goes to the back of the room, sits on the windowsill of a third-floor building, and this is where we'll pick up right here. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. It says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. See, here's a true statement. Young people have been falling asleep in church for years. It even happened back in the Bible days. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive, and they were greatly comforted. Things that are true now, that will be true later. Father God, as we uh, go into, dive into your word, Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you just, uh, Lord, it cuts us like a a two-edged sword, Father God, that we can grow from this, God, that we can take something that's said here today and we can apply it to our lives, God. Lord, I'm thankful, Father God, for what you've already done in this service, what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at this church, it's awesome to see because I really do feel like it's going to be kind of what heaven looks like. You have different people of all ages, uh, all races, all backgrounds, and it's, it's awesome because it's what, what heaven's going to be like, and uh, it's just awesome to see. Amen? Number one, the first thing I want you guys to have today is that, that's true now and will be true later is, is that teenagers are sitting in a dangerous place. Verse 9 says, And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. So Eutychus walks in this church service. There's a packed house. Preaching's going on. And he goes and he takes a seat in the windowsill of a third-story building. See, I feel like this is a picture of what's going on today in our world. The enemy is trying his best to lure our young people into a dangerous place and to be in on the edge. It's a place where the enemy likes to take them through movies, through music, through cell phones, sexuality, pornography. He likes them to be in this dangerous place, sitting on the edge, waiting to follow their death. Enemy is just rocking our babies to sleep, waiting and waiting to the time where they can fall over to their death. You see, I don't think the enemy cares that our young people come to church. Let them come to church. As long as they stay unengaged, as long as they stay talking, hanging out, he doesn't care that they're there. He doesn't want them to be engaged. He wants them to be there to people think you're good. That way I can just push you over the edge. 
See, Eutychus was a teenager, and ironically, his name means lucky. Uh, you think, right, lucky. He just fell from a third floor uh, window. I guess he is lucky in one regards that Paul was there and was able to go and, and follow him and bring him back to life. But he made a really bad decision to sit in a dangerous place, and he fell asleep. You see, we don't know why uh, he was tired. Maybe he was at school all day learning. Maybe he just had a hard day's work, and you guys know what it's like. You get going all day, and you finally rest for a second, and you're, sometimes you fall asleep, maybe watching some TV or reading a book just because you're so tired. I'm sure he didn't stay up late playing video games or anything like that, like young people typically do. There's a little bit of sarcasm. We don't know why he chose the window. You see, was he running late? Was the building really that crowded to where he had no other place to sit except for the windowsill? Maybe he saw, if I sit all the way back in the back, I can get away with talking or being on my cell phone. Maybe, and what I tend to believe, is he just went into this room, it was crowded, he didn't want to be a disturbance. He went, and he sat on the very back place that he could find, and he chose a place that just had to be a dangerous place. You see, we give him a hard time, but realistically, he's being a teenager. I don't know if you remember what it was like if you were a kid, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, Uh, Some of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're a little bit rebellious. We haven't met Jesus yet. Uh, We maybe made some bad decisions. And uh, I think the enemy speaks lies to us. You see, the enemy tells our young people, nothing bad's going to happen to you. It'll be fine. If you just go over here and sit on the edge, you're good. I call it the Superman complex, right? We don't believe anything bad can happen to us. It won't happen to me. That happens to other people. And we get close to the edge as possible, and we just hang out here close to the edge because we're not going to fall. That won't happen to us, right? We're good. But the enemy wants them to get closer and closer and closer. You know, I have kids all the time that ask me, well, what about this or what about that when it comes to dealing with things that are gray topics, right? And I say, the whole issue is you shouldn't be flirting with the line, right? We shouldn't be sitting on the windowsill anyways, amen? You see, teenagers are risky. Teenagers are on the edge. And I'm worried for this generation because they are sitting in a dangerous place. The TV shows, the music they listen to, the movies they watch, they they proclaim this message of emptiness and hopelessness. There's pornography that's accessible on tablets and cell phones. They have new drugs out that, that young people are turning to. You know, there's more sexual identities today than there ever been before. We have young people in the school that I work in for middle school kids that say, I was born this way, but I feel this way, right? This is happening to our young people in America. Suicide is glorified. Young people are cutting themselves to relieve pain. I see it in my school. It looks like train tracks all down a, a kid's arm because they feel like they cannot feel anything, and the way that they get to feel anything, because they feel so numb and depressed and hopeless, is they cut themselves just to watch themselves bleed to make sure that they're alive still. That's what they tell me. That, and, you know, the guy obviously knows about it, but that's, that's an issue. These young people, and Satan is lying to these young people. He's telling them that you're right, nobody loves you, you, you have nothing, you're never going to be anything. And these young people believe that, and it's being, it's being solidified through what they watch and what they listen to. You see, it's becoming a norm for families not to have a father in their home either. I believe that's something that the enemy tries to do to break apart our families and marriages. John 10.10 10 says, this is the enemy's 
mission statement. It says the thief comes that he will steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to kill anything that's being birthed into our young people. He wants to steal the things that God has given our young people, the dreams, the hope. He wants to tear down the things that God is building up into our young people. He wants to see parents separate and teenagers have to split time between mom and dad. He wants to see them bound by addiction and then say that they're not. You know why? Because I lived that when I was 16. Okay? I lived that moment when I was 16 when I would say, oh, no, I don't have an issue with this. But I knew realistically I was bound by an addiction and I didn't want to admit it. So the same things that Satan was doing when I was 16, he still does with teenagers now who are 16. He wants, to, he wants young people to be torn between whether they feel like a guy or a girl. He wants the, the enemy is luring them to the edge, and his goal is to see every person fall out of church to their death. But see, I'm glad that that scripture doesn't end there. Because I, see, I believe that God sees what's going on, and he's sending the church to take care of and to show the message of Jesus Christ. Because it says the second part of that, John 10.10 said that I came that they may have life, they may have it more abundantly. So the enemy's mission statement is to kill, steal, and destroy. But God said, I have came that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. He wants to see young people so passionate and on fire for him. I mean, God wants to see young people have life. And not just an okay life, not just a life to get by, but an abundant life. And I think we lose that sometimes, and we kind of get in this, I'm doing this book study right now, and it's called Authentic Manhood, and it's all about being a man and what our role is as men. And if you, if you haven't ever heard of it, I strongly encourage it. It's fantastic. But it talks about how men, we go through life, and we feel like we go through this whole life going from, I go to work, I come home, I do this, I go to bed. My life is this scheduled, mundane thing all the time. And we, li- we don't have an abundant life. We just live. We're not seeing an abundance of life. And it's because we're not serving. We're not helping others. We're not, we're not living in the calling that God gave us. We're not, uh, we're not cultivating relationships and, and building and creating what God has called us to do as men. And it's the same thing for these young people. They get through this they just live. They just try to get through the day. It's hard for them. But I don't believe that that's what God has for them. I believe that God has abundant life for them. Amen? See, some of us in here, we have sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters who have fallen out of church. This Eutychus spirit is on them, and they're out of church. They, they fell out. They really have nothing to do with church anymore. They're dead spiritually. Maybe they used to go to church, maybe they were raised in church, and they really have nothing or want or desire to be in church. But I I want to encourage you guys today, if that's you, and you have a young, a granddaughter, grandson, son, daughter, they don't have to be young, they can be their 30s, 40s, doesn't matter. If that's you, and you know that you have a grandson or somebody in your life that you're praying for, I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you to keep standing in the gap for them, and I want to encourage you to keep praying for them. Even if you feel like it's not helping, even if you feel like they continue going down the wrong path, you need to stay in the gap and continue to pray for them because I believe that the Lord works on on certain principles, and He works on one that's called you reap what you sow. 
and we begin to reap and we begin to or sow, we begin to sow our prayers and our, our, our desire and we pray that God will, will bring them and save them. I believe in time that we are going to reap what we sow. It's the law of the harvest. And so please do not give up on your young people. Please do not give up on, on your sons and daughters, your friends, who you've been praying for that they would get to know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the opposite, and your parents don't know Christ, and you're praying for them because you're a believer. Don't give up on praying for them because we eventually will see them come to Christ, and we have to believe that, and we have to pray that way because what we plant now will produce later. So we have to understand that the enemy wants them. One of my favorite quotes is carved on the side of Shearwood Baptist Church, and it says, He who wants this generation more will have them. He who wants this generation more will have them. So my question to you is, how much do you want this generation? How, what are we doing? What are, are we making them a priority to win this generation to Christ? Because I promise you, church, if we're not, Satan will. We have to be, they have to be our, our priority in, in getting young people. And I know people say, yeah, young people are the church of tomorrow. No, they're the church of today. They're the church of right now. They have a place in every church to work, to, to, to be, and, and to, to grow. We have to make winning this generation a priority. It's true now. It's true later. Teenagers are sitting in a dangerous place. Number two, teenagers are not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of right now. This is the place where the enemy, oh, excuse me, teenagers of right now. See, youth, it's not time for you to be silent. It's not time for you to sit back and, and take a back seat and watch everybody else do it till you get older and you can take your place in the church. There is a place, for, and, I, and I, I've talked to your pastor a few times. And I know, and I talked to uh, the Tucks a few times, and I know just by seeing young people taking up the offering earlier, uh, young people up on stage playing instruments, that this church will allow you to serve as a young people in it. And it is not time for you to sit back and for you just to say, yeah, that's just not for me right now. It is time for you to get involved. Be an usher. Be a greeter. Take up the offering. Even if it's not you Sunday, I'm pretty sure if you, if you came to pastor you said, I, can I pray for the offering this Sunday? He would let you pray for the offering. He wants to see young people be involved, whether it be in children's ministry, nursery. If you, get, if you get out of the children's ministry and you can work in a nursery or help in some way, shape, or form, that is what you should be doing. You know, I saw, I saw something on Facebook the other day, and it said, well done, thy good and faithful. And then it said, pastor with an X, usher with an X. It said, missionary with an X. And it said, servant, circled. Be a servant. Serve your church. Serve the Lord. Amen. To our older generation, Satan has a place for these young people outside of our church if we won't let them serve. So we have an obligation to them to let them serve and to grow them in our church. This generation does not want, does not want to wait to be used by God. They are ready now. They have a story to tell, a testimony to share, and a gift to use. Just up here earlier, uh, I, I was... Uh, I'm having a brain moment all of a sudden. Uh, my goodness. Forgot your son's name. Ryan. God, I'm so sorry, dude. I just had a brain moment. Sorry. I apologize. Ryan was telling me, he's like, you know what? My, my, my sophomore year, I was doing great. I thought, man, look at me. I'm awesome. This is, his, this is his testimony. He didn't even know he was sharing this testimony with me earlier. 
He said, I thought I was doing awesome. I gave myself all the credit for how well I was playing basketball. And he said, I had more injuries in my sophomore year than I ever had before. And then God was trying to wake me up and tell me, it's not about you, it's about me. And he said, this year I've done better than I ever did, and I give God all the praise, honor, and glory for that. He doesn't know that, but that's his testimony. He can share that, and he'll meet other people who play sports who will now be able to say, wow, that's, that's incredible. You know what? Maybe, maybe that's true for me as well. And that's a testimony that he has to share. And we need to give him a platform to share that, these young people who have testimonies to share them. The Bible is full of stories of young people that are being used, of seven-year-old boys being raised up to be kings, 14-year-old boys that are slaying giants. Young people can be used in the kingdom of God. But what the enemy wants to do is, I don't know if you guys noticed, it was pretty cool. Last year at camp, we had about, I would say about 25 to 30 young people walk up on stage, and they said, God called me to, and then said what God called them into. We had from missionaries, to pastors, to children's workers, to worship leaders, they said, God called me into this. We send these kids back out into their local churches, And what Satan wants to do is he wants to wait, wait till they start getting off their high from camp and being at church camp and what God did for them. And he's like, you know, that wasn't real, right? No, God really didn't call you into that. You're You're not worthy to do that. Are you kidding me? You actually go up there and do something? Remember all these things that you've done in your life? Yeah, they'll never let you do that. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to constantly lie to them and tell them. And just hopefully if they wait long enough, they'll say, yeah, you know what? Maybe God didn't tell me that. I know that I felt God called me into that, but it probably, probably, probably didn't really happen. And that's what the enemy wants to do. So we have got to let these young people serve now. I'm so thankful for the people who spoke life into my life when I was growing up. Even when I was a 16-year-old kid making stupid mistakes, I still had people like Jason Vernon, David Brown, people who were mentors of mine in the faith that said, you know what, Jeremy? You matter. You mean something. God has a calling. How can I help you fulfill that calling in your life? And we need to do that with these young people. You should be mentoring young people in your church. Amen? I want you to look what Paul does here. He sees this young person fly out of the building from the third floor. He doesn't put, a, put it on a t-shirt or make a fancy slogan to show up his mission statement like, this is what you should do. No, he stops preaching. I mean, he's heated in this message that he's given. He stops preaching. He runs down three flights of steps, goes and he falls. The Bible said, but Paul went down and fell upon him. He runs, it was the most important thing at that time. The Bible doesn't talk about what message he was given. doesn't talk about anything else. It was all about he stopped what he was doing, ran down there, and fell upon this boy. You see, I don't know, but sometimes we see things like this, and some people, and I, I, this is just my thought on the situation. There might have been people in that room that quite hadn't got it yet and thought, man, why are you stopping your preaching? What does it matter that this one person fell out of the windowsill? Let him go. You know, his daddy was the same way. Troublemaker. Just let him go. He doesn't really matter. Let's, let's focus on the ones who are up here. Keep preaching. I was ready for him to leave anyway. He's always a distraction. I see it in the church. 
But he mattered so much to Paul that he stopped what he was doing, stopped his message, ran down there. He fell upon him. He showed Eutychus what love really was. And you know why he did it? Because he saw more in Eutychus than Eutychus saw in himself. He saw life. He saw potential. He saw, he didn't see this, this is the way that God, he didn't see this generation of nobodies. He didn't see this group of kids with no future. He didn't see this group of kids that were spiritually dead. He saw potential in this young boy and he ran down there. He grabbed them, fell upon them. And he loved, he loved, and that, that's the, a love just fell upon him. And it says, which we'll get into in a minute, that after embracing him, that life came back in this young man. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into Marvelous light. See, God doesn't choose a generation for nothing. In this generation we have, they are not a generation of participators. They're not a generation of spectators. They are a generation of participators. I'm claiming that over our generation. Teenagers, number three, teenagers need to be embraced. Verse 10 says, But Paul went down, fell upon him. After embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for life is in him. If you want to see a dead generation come to life, find a teenager and hug them. <laughs> Super awkward. Uh, fist bump them. Tell them, you know what? You're awesome. You matter. God loves you and so do I. It doesn't matter that you don't maybe speak the same language. Sometimes in middle school, little kids say something. I'm just like, I have no clue what you're talking about. They're like, Mr. Ballin, do you blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, is that like a new dance move that I'm supposed to learn? Or, you know, they, have, they have a completely different lingo, but you know what? You love them anyways. And you say, oh, man, that's such an awesome dance. I wish I could move like that. Because you, they just want to be embraced. Teenagers want to be told that they matter, that, that you love them. I heard a really good quote from the uh, Authentic Manhood book that, that really kind of opened my eyes. And um, he, said, he said, relationships, let's see, make sure I get this right. Um, pretty much he was saying that if you don't show a kid that you love them, it leads to, and you have rules, there you go, Rule, relationships, rules without relationships leads to rebellion. So if you don't, if you have rules for kids to follow, but you don't develop that relationship and cultivate that relationship with them and tell them that you love them, tell them that you care about them, it's going to lead to those kids rebelling. And we focus so much on this behavior of rebelling instead of focusing on this behavior of building a relationship, because I fully believe that if we cultivate a relationship with somebody, they'll run through a wall for us if we ask them to. I know it's been true in my life. If people who, if I'm telling you right now, I told you Jason Vernon was somebody who spoke to me. He called me right now and said, Jeremy, I need you in South Carolina today. I would tell Lord, we got to go to South Carolina. I'd take off tomorrow and I'd go. To, I would do anything in the world for him if he asked me to do it because he developed and cultivated that relationship with me. And it's important that we do that with our young people. We have got to fall on them, embrace them, tell them that you're loved. I know when I was 16, I wasn't pretty. I don't know if you think about, about to you when you were a young kid, times in your life that you messed up, that you felt like, man, there's probably nobody in this world that loves me after what I've just done or what I just said but, or my actions. But we have to go, we have to love those people. They're sitting on a windowsill. My 16-year-old self sitting on a windowsill, but yet people still loved me. 
So you cannot impact what you don't embrace. You cannot impact what you don't embrace. The culture is embracing our young people tighter than the churches at times. See, Paul went down to Eutychus. He didn't wait for somebody else to do it. He didn't say, hey, Ashley, I, I'm preaching right now. Will you go get him? And he didn't do that. He didn't try to find his parents. Hey, are there parents in here that you can go take care of that? He identified with this dead teenager. I believe Paul's heart, I mean, I, if I, I can imagine if I'm preaching and, and this kid falls out of a store, I, my heart would be broken. And I would, you would want to go pray for this teenager and love this teenager. Maybe he remembered what, I don't know if you remember, you know Paul's story, but he wasn't always the best of dudes growing up, right? So maybe he remembered himself as a teenager and said, man, I'm glad, I wish somebody could have done this to me when I was a teenager and and fell on me and brought life back into me. No, he goes down, he puts his arms around him, and he said, don't be troubled for life is in him. When everybody else gave up on him, Paul saw life, Paul embraced him. We cannot give up on teenagers now. God is bigger than a generational gap. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 90 years old. There's a teenager running around here, and you tell them, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you. God has a plan for you. God is bigger than any generational gap that exists. This is not a time to ignore our teenagers. It's a time that we must embrace them.